Well, good morning, everyone. Did you know that Tuesday is what? Valentine. Oh, good, good. I thought I was really going to have to beat up on the men today. because I heard a lot of men's voices in that. Guys, you make me proud. Part of the team you represent. I'm really, I'm really grateful for that. I was thinking about some cool verses from the Bible for men, like to write into a Valentine's card. So ladies, just put your fingers in your ears for a second. I'm going to help your men out, all right? So there's this wonderful verse, guys, in the Bible about Jacob. And Jacob loved this girl, but her dad was a little overbearing. Um, I, I would say he was pretty appropriate. It was kind of like an ancient version of the modern shotgun. He said, I'll give you my daughter. You've got to work for me for seven years for free first. That seemed like a great deal to me. But anyway, the Bible says that Jacob loved this woman so much that he worked for her for seven years. And then catch this. But it seemed like days for him because of his love for her. Isn't that, isn't that great? That's just a phenomenal, phenomenal verse. Now, there's a passage about Isaac, Jacob's uh, dad. And it talked about Isaac just having fun with his wife. And people were watching that and just remarking on what an amazing kind of romance and love they had for each other. So there's really great verses in the Bible about love, guys, that you can put into your, into your Valentine's Day card. I found a few others that aren't quite as obvious in our modern context. Here's one, Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what it says. A uh, guy's talking to his girl and he says, Your hair is like a flock of goats. And I just thought... That doesn't quite have the same punch maybe today that it had back then. Your waist is a mound of wheat. Doesn't that just sound romantic? Does this wheat make me look fat? I, I don't know. Your teeth, it says in Song of Songs, are like a flock of sheep coming up from the washing, so they're white, and each one has its twin. Not one of them is missing. Apparently in the ancient world, keeping all your teeth was a big deal, and this guy was just praising his wife for her good oral hygiene. I, I don't know. And then one of my be- buddy's uh, favorite one, um, we are PG-13 a little bit today, so go ahead, this is your 30-second warning. Um, we have amazing kids ministry. And so if you're like, have a kid in here, and uh, we're going to be talking about marriage and family and guys and kind of what goes on in their heads, I'm giving you time to get up. Nobody's moving. And we're going to be talking about that stuff just a little bit today. And it's all from God's word. So there should be like nobody sending me an email. I know you will. And because I've said that you shouldn't, you won't put your name on it. That's fine. I get it. Um, it's, it's okay. So by now, uh, here's my buddy's favorite verse from the Song of Songs. He says that your stature is like the palm tree and your your upper lady parts, is what the Bible says, are like clusters of fruit. All right, so, so far, no, it's no bad. Then it says, yay, I will climb that tree and take hold of its fruit. Right there in your Bible. He, my buddy said this was his life verse. I, I don't, I, I don't, he's married. I guess it's okay. I don't know. Um, hey, we are going to be talking to men today from the Bible. In your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be doing that uh, passage. We did it last week, today. And next week, and what we're talking about really is, now listen to me, because if you came today for self-help, um, good that you're like you're halfway there. If you came because you thought I was going to be like Oprah, but like for men, I, I don't know what that would look like, but if you thought that's what it was going to be, then you're partially right. We're really not trying to just help anybody have a better marriage. Listen, the goal of this church isn't to make you happy, although for a lot of us, we, we help do that, okay? The goal of this church is to be what the church is called to do, which is to be biblical. And I got to tell you, as a guy that's been walking with Jesus since I was five years old, many times as I've tried to be biblical, I've been anything but happy. I'm just being truthful in advertising because sometimes the truth of God's word bounces up against my life. And for the moment, in the moment, it makes me anything but happy. But here's the proof of why God's word is true. And here's the goodness of God in his word, even when it bounces up against us and makes us feel less than comfortable. 
God says that if you follow his way and his word, that it will bring you joy, which supersedes happiness, supersedes pleasure any day. And he said if you and I would follow his word and like take his word as authority, it wouldn't just bring us joy, it would bring him honor. And the highest purpose that you've been called to, the greatest compliment God's ever given a single human being, and he's given it to every one of us, is that he made us in his image to reflect him and to bring out the glory and the honor of God. We're called to honor him, and it's a high calling. And so I hope that even if you're not serving Jesus today, you can walk away with a few good principles. But more than that, here's the good news for those of us that are leaning in. We've experienced the grace of God. We've said to him, Lord, we're a sinner. We can't do it without you. And we're going to need your help. Here's the good news for you if you've done that. God's word says that you have his spirit at work inside of you, helping you where you're weak, pulling you along, giving you a strength that goes beyond your, your own, opening up your mind to understand yourself and the world around you in ways that you can never grasp on your own. And so what we're really talking about today are truths that I guess I hope anybody is pulled into, but really they're for those of us that want to honor God. And if you're not honoring God, if you're not experiencing the joy that God intended for you, then by the time we get done with the message today, I'm going to give you a chance to begin a relationship with him. Now, men, uh, we're going to get to you in just a second, but there is a little bit more work we're going to do on the ladies. I think I mentioned this last week, just a, a little bit more. And then I'm going to quickly turn, and I'm going to ask you men this. I want to go ahead and put it in your heads, even as I talk to the little ladies for a second. Here, here's our first slide. What is your vision for your marriage? What is your vision for your marriage? What is your vision for your marriage? Here's something I learned. It doesn't matter what I intend to do, men. If I tell my wife and kids, we're going to go to the beaches in Florida. We, you, we used to live in Florida. We like to go there. It's a fun time. Many of you have done the same thing. If I tell my wife and kids one day as we get up uh, out of our beds in our little house in Westchester, Ohio, and we say, we're going to go to the beaches in Florida, and we get our, our, our bathing suits together, and um, we get our beach towels and we get our, 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 our water toys, and we get our sunscreen, and I gas up the car and check the oil, and we get it in the car, and we turn north on I-75. All of the intention we have of going to the beaches in Florida will not get us to the beaches in Florida. All of our preparation and planning and goodwill and good effort and hard work will not get us to the beaches in Florida. No matter what our intentions are, we will not arrive at the destination we seek unless we actually walk in the direction of the destination we seek. Unless we actually drive south on 75 or go some other way south. Now, the reason I'm pointing this out to you, men, is this. I don't know that when I was growing up, I was ever challenged to consider what my vision was for my future marriage. It hasn't been many times as an adult I've ever been challenged to think, what is it I really want? That's all a vision statement is. What you want out of marriage. What are you called to if you're a follower of God? What is the vision God has for marriage? I'm convinced the reason a lot of guys, ladies, look like boneheads in relationships is because we haven't thought about where we're going. And many of us have good hearts. Please give us some credit. Many of us are willing to work hard. I mean, give us some credit, but we're dumb. You don't have to give us credit there. That's okay. We're, we're dumb because we think that our good effort and our good hearts are enough and, and we should get a pass on everything else. It's not true, man. It doesn't happen in your jobs. It doesn't happen with your physical body. I have all the intention of, in the world of being a male Adonis. I do. You know, I, I, I like that vision of me. 
But if I don't actually get up off my butt and do some work, then the best I'm gonna ever get is like a 9.5 on a 10 point scale like I am right now. It's like the best that's ever gonna happen. And the same thing's true, guys, in your marriage. So I'm calling you today and next week. This, this is for men. To think about what is your vision for marriage. And let, let me tell you something. I have some hard things to say to you that run counter to our culture. Um, but, but I also have some encouraging things to say to you. See, I think that vision, when we compare ourselves ultimately to where we want to be, sometimes it can hurt. It's like my kids, as soon as we get in the car and we're going down to Florida, you know, they know it's a long way. And the gap between where they are and where they want to be weighs in heavy on them. Sometimes that's what happens when, when we get a brighter vision and a clearer vision of where we need to be. We get the sense of the gap. But if you will hang with and not give up on the journey, not give up on the journey of this message series, first of all, but also the journey of, of your life with God and the, the work of the Holy Spirit in you over time, sanctifying you and making you more like Christ over time. If you don't give up on that, the gap begins to shrink. Oh, you don't ever reach perfection. Of course not. But the gap begins to shrink. And it makes a practical, a real difference. You really begin to honor God on a level you never have. And there's a joy, a sweet joy that comes into your life. I'm calling you, men, to a greater vision. And I'm going to be speaking to the ladies for a moment. But even in that, men, I want you to hear and listen well, not so that you can bring corrective words later on. I mean, the worst thing you can do, guys or ladies, is on the way home go, I can't wait till you start living up to what Pastor Ben's preaching about. That's like the worst thing you can do. You know, you, you just don't want to do that. What you want to do is, first of all, apply truths to yourself and then begin to pray about what you think might need to happen in somebody else's life. And then after you do that, you ask God for a receptive moment or two. And then you're very sensitive to your words and to your tone as you bring up a subject that you know might be painful or hurtful or at least uncomfortable. When you've done all that, and you've investigated yourself, then you can begin to press into somebody else. So here's what the Bible says. Just looking at 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise, in view of what we've already been talking about, about God's order in churches, in worlds, in the community, in the government, and likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Ladies, if your man isn't where you want them to be with God, God's word says to you right here that you can have an evangelistic and a transformative impact on your husband, not simply by what you say, but by how you act, how you conduct yourselves. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, and then we drilled down on these couple of verses last week. I asked you to get the uh, audio from online. It says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair and the putting on of gold or jewelry or the clothing you wear. That's not the focus. You focus there, you're going down the wrong road. You're going to hit a dead end. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty and a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by and this word, this pesky word that keeps coming up in the Bible. And for, for men and women who want to take it seriously, you have to deal with this word. They used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So last week, ladies, I said to you, God's the only one that complete you. And your husband will disappoint you. And, and more so if you try to force him to fulfill the parts of you 
of your, of your existence that only God can fulfill. And your husband can't carry the weight of fulfilling your life. If you put that on him, he'll develop hobbies or other distractions to lighten the ungodly burden. It's just the truth. We, we can't fulfill you. And so what I called the ladies to last week was to pursue God first in their lives and to let the Holy Spirit begin to work on them and be sensitive to conviction, be open to truth, both, both hard truth that is delivered directly to you with somebody pointing a finger at you and soft truth that's delivered in a room like this that doesn't have your name attached. Be open to hard truth and soft truth and let God speak to you and don't always be reflecting and deflecting, but instead pull that in close and say with David as he prayed an honest prayer, God, search my heart. Can I tell you why God calls women to this kind of life for him first, for inward things, not outward things? Never, never to give up their identity to some human being or trust some individual man with their value and their worth, but instead trust themselves fully to God? It's because he knows, ladies, how precious you are. Everywhere in the Bible that, that it deals with men and women, every time it starts with the ladies first. And there's a reason, because God knows your hearts in general, all things being equal, is softer and more receptive to the kinds of things we're talking about. But don't think, ladies, that the responsibility is fully on you. I mean, in a moment, we're going to turn our attention to men. But at the same time, don't wait for your men to start doing right. You can have a transformative effect on your family, on your marriage, on your kids, on your friendships, if you will put God first and then take his word as the truth for your life, know it, read it, know it, obey it, it will change everything. That's why around here we try to be very careful to be open and honest about God's word, transparent and clear and understandable, never compromising its truth. Because the truth is, is I'm not and nobody else is smart enough to tell you what you need to do. But people can share with you what God's word says. And if you're open and you listen to the Holy Spirit, it can whisper to your heart and begin to transform you. So men, what is your vision for your marriage? What do you want out of marriage? I want to take you back to that day when you said your I do's when you looked each other in the eyes and you made promises, and you probably didn't even understand the full weight of your promises on that day, and you said to your spouse, to your wife, I will love and honor and cherish you in sickness and in health, richer for poorer until death do us part. And you made that promise before people, in front of your spouse, in front of God, even if you didn't know you were, that's what you did. I want to take you back to that day and some of those phrases that were used. And then maybe, maybe after the ceremony was over and the dancing was done, maybe you picked her up and you carried her across the threshold of that hotel room or that, that room where you spent your first night together. It's kind of a customary thing to do. I remember, you know, kind of having those moments with my wife and thinking how wonderful this was going to be. And we were so much in love and the emotion was so full and rich and we had a great day. And I remember thinking, this is going to be the greatest, you know, the greatest thing in my life. I'm now somehow full. I'm somehow completed. I'm somehow... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a man now. I, I feel like I'm going to be a man now. I remember thinking all those things. What I didn't know was that when I picked up my wife to carry her across the threshold, I wasn't just carrying her. 
I want to describe a reality for you men for just a moment as we begin to think about the vision that God would like for you to have in mind for your marriage. When I carried my wife across the threshold, and she's a wonderful lady. If you don't know her, you're the one who's missing. She's phenomenal. But I wasn't just carrying her. I was carrying her and her family and her mother and her grandmother and all the traditions of their family and all the things that were ingrained inside of her and all the things that were her value system, some of which she had identified, some of which she didn't, all of her past experiences. I carried the weight of her dating experiences. I carried all of that across the threshold. There's no wonder that by the time I got in the room, I was asleep in about five minutes. I mean, it pretty much explains the whole honeymoon there in our, in our marriage. I was exhausted the whole time. Um, here's the deal, man. I bet you're like me and you didn't marry a perfect woman. I, I bet you even if you're a single guy here today, you think you're going to be the one guy that gets the perfect one? Let me just let you in on a little secret. It's not going to happen. It's not. There is imperfection at work in this world. Every single human being on the face of this earth is a sinner in need of redemption. And God begins his sanctifying work in us here and now, but we don't get perfected till the other side of heaven. And so the only time you're going to encounter a perfect human being is when you are down in the dirt, your physical body, and your soul is resting with Jesus in heaven. That's when you're going to encounter perfection among humanity. All right? And so we have to deal with the realities here and now. I mean, some of you might relate to the writer of Proverbs in your Bible. Proverbs describes a situation between a man and a woman like this. Men, see if you can relate for just a second. It's better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. Good God. The Bible writer here says it's better for you to, drop, to die dehydrated and skeletonized in a desert than to live with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. Proverbs 25, 24. It's better to live on the corner of the roof of your house than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Good God, I don't know who these men were married to. <laughs> Nobody in modern day society could relate to anything like this at all. Proverbs 27, 15, just, you'll notice the theme. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on rainy day. <laughs> the Bible is saying it's better for you to be waterboarded than to live <laughs> with a quarrelsome wife. Somebody's saying, Ben, you don't, you don't know my wife. I mean, I might have a vision, but you don't know where we're starting from. The gap from where we are to where we're going is so big. And then let me, let me make you aware of something. And ladies, just go with me for a week and a half here, all right? Men, God has called us to lead. And I'm going to take you to a passage in the Bible away from 1 Peter for just a second that gives us a beautiful image of, of what a godly wife, woman, mother is supposed to be. And while the voice of the text speaks directly to women and is meant to call out good in them, for those of us men that believe, now listen to me, let's check our attitudes and check our, our thoughts and our preconceived ideas for a second. We believe God's called us to lead on some level. Now, there's a lot of ways to say this, and I want to push on this theo theological button. I'll wait for next week to do this. But let's just pretend for a moment that you're co-leaders in your home. That's awesome. Perfectly equal in every way. Nobody, that, that's awesome. I don't care right now. That's not the point. Even men, if you're simply to co-lead in your home, you are also called to lead. That's what co-lead means. And if some of you believe that, you know, the men are to lead in kind of this way over their wives, again, I'm not pressing that theological button yet. We'll do it next week. But if you're here, then even more, the responsibility you, on you is to lead. So here's my question to you men. Where are you leading your family? 
Now, I don't feel sorry for you men at all right now. Because long before I preached this sermon for the last three weeks, these truths have been raked over my heart. I'm bloodied. I'm bruised. I don't know if you can see it yet, but I'm like, you know, I'm just, I'm hurting up here a little bit. I'd like you to be sorry for me. And the truth of God's word sometimes isn't pleasant. Sometimes it rubs us wrong. But God has called us to lead. So I want to take you to a passage in Proverbs chapter 31. It's the passage called the virtuous wife or the godly woman. The woman of wisdom. The book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. The final chapter talks about kind of wisdom lived up in the life of a woman. It's beautiful. But men, here is a piece of the picture. The vision God has for us to help our women arrive at. To help the women in our lives. For me, it's, I'm a dad. It's for my daughter. I am, my vision for my parenting includes, needs to include some of what we're going to talk about right here. My vision for our family includes my wife experiencing some of these realities. And as a leader, at least as a co-leader in our home, I'm called to partner with her in bringing out God's design for her. Men, did you realize you and I, we're called... We're called dream makers in the Bible. That God put us on earth to leverage our resources, our authority, our honor, our vocabulary, our strength to make the dream, God's dream in other people's lives happen. That's what we're called to do, men. In some sense, every single person who is in a relationship with God is called to do that, to pass the dream onto somebody else. But specifically to men, there seems to be a heavy burden on men like a significant weight, a part of our identity is found not in the pleasure that we bring, but in the pleasure that we give. Not in the joy that we experience, but in the joy that we give. And that a man is simply an adolescent boy overgrown if he doesn't take up the responsibility of bringing out God's best in other people. That's why you train your young boys like I train mine and say to them, don't simply walk up to somebody and hit them. That's why we say to our young men, say thank you when they're little kids. We want to bring out in them these qualities of valor and honor and strength that serves not just them, but serves others. And this is exactly what God has called us to. And every once in a while, you get a picture of what that's supposed to look like, what the product is supposed to be. And so in Proverbs chapter 31, here's what it says, men, now listen up. An excellent wife. Who can find? And there's acknowledgement that this is a difficult task to do. But listen how this woman is described. I don't know who the men in her life were, but I'd love to meet them. I'd love to meet the men that nurtured and encouraged and brought out and raised up this kind of description of a woman. I want to be the kind of man that brings out this. She is far more precious than jewels. I mean, she's more important than diamonds or gold or rubies. She's spectacular. She's above the best. She's more important than your money is what this is saying. The heart of her husband, listen to this, the heart of her husband trusts her. And he will have no lack of gain. The heart of this woman is such that her husband looks at her and says, her heart is for my good. I mean, she didn't evidently grow up in a home where there was an overbearing mother or an absentee father where she, by age eight years old, internally said to herself with words she didn't fully understand yet, nobody's going to treat me that way. 
I'm not going to let a man step on me that way. Something in her happened so that her heart stayed soft and pliable in front of people and in front of men so that when she finally got into marriage, there was this trusting thing about her and her husband looked at her and said, this is a place I can be safe. Ladies, do you know what men do when we don't feel safe? I can tell you. We shut down and we disappear. That's why some men won't play certain sports because they know they're not automatically good at it. And the fear, the lack of safety they feel, they think about engaging that thing keeps them from... That's why a lot of men won't go to church because we sing songs that are very feminized in a lot of churches. Oh, Jesus, I love your beard. Let me stroke it. You're awesome. I just want to kiss your face, Jesus. And it's this feminine thing and it's pink and green and flowers everywhere. And the only people that really get into it are women and the, the sermons are emotional and the whole point seems to be to make somebody cry. And men are like, I don't want to feel safe to me. I don't want to stroke the beard of Jesus. I love him as good as the next guy, but I don't want to sit on his lap and hug him. It's okay. I get it, right? That's why we really try to speak to men around here and call out. That's why in our church, breaking the odds of what you see around the country, we don't simply have women carrying the load where men are supposed to be standing alongside and carrying the weight with them, like you have in many, many churches. We speak practically to men. That's because to some level, men here feel like they're going to get truth spoken with clarity, but it's also a safe place to come and grow and develop. They don't have to be perfect yet. They can wait for heaven for that. And along the way, we will nurture and come alongside. They don't want that just in their churches. Let me make it clear. Men, God has called you, if you have a daughter, if you have a wife, you have a girlfriend, to be the kind of guy that engenders this trusting thing in her. Now, instead of asking yourself, men, I don't think my wife's like that. Let me ask you. Are you creating the environment where it's likely that your wife is going to exhibit this kind of behavior? See, that's the burden of leadership. The burden of leadership is not complaining about what you don't have. The burden of leadership is dealing with the realities and pressing into what God calls you to. God calls me to create an environment in my home where my wife is likely to have a soft heart towards me and have my best interest at heart. And I'm going to tell you that's difficult, but I don't feel sorry for you. The greatest thing you've ever been called to is to lead. It's the greatest compliment. God said, he looked at you and he said, I trust you with this. I trust you with helping make dreams a reality in other people's lives. I trust you to do it with the women in your life. I think it starts, honestly, with how young boys treat their moms. Of course, they get an image of that from their heads. They see their dads and how their dads treat their moms. And if the dad's even around to treat their mom any way whatsoever. And so the heart of the husband trusts her and he'll have no lack of gain. I mean, she's going to come alongside him and push him and direct him. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Skipping a few verses, verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing. I mean, are we helping the women in our lives, men, have strength and dignity? And she laughs at the time to come. She's not afraid of the future. I mean, no matter what it holds, she can't direct it. But she scoffs in the face of the future and says, I can because of who I am in God and who I've been raised to be and the people around me. I can face with God anything to come. She opens her mouth, listen, and it drips with wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Her children rise up and call her blessed, and her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but listen to this one person. But you surpass them all. Men, what is the vision you have for your wives, for your daughters? 
What is it? You, ha- you don't have one? You don't have one. You're just like me saying, I'm taking my family to the beach. Get your clothes on. Get your tiles. Grab your toys and sunscreen. Getting in the car and going north on 75. You will not get there. God has called us to lead. And he's given us these beautiful pictures of what our leadership product should look like. And let's be honest. You can't make a woman go anywhere that she doesn't want to go. And you're not called to do that. You're not supposed to be God in her life. But you can come alongside in a way that encourages and calls out and speaks truth in gentleness and love. We can do that. That's what I'm calling you to over these next few days, that we're together. I'm calling you, men, to lead. And to lead with the vision that God has for us. Let me give you some more practical language around what that looks like. God's wisdom for men who want to be God-honoring and joy bringing in their marriages. Here's what it is in 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise, just like he talked to the ladies, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, two points real quick. Leave those verses up. Live with your wives. Live with your wives. (laughs) Not stay away from your wives. Come together with your wives. Live with them under the same house. Literally, this is the only place in the Bible this word is used, but it's the idea of a house husband, a man who enjoys his home, a man who has a priority of the home. I know, quality time trumps quantity time, right? No. Listen, I know we have jobs. I have a job. I work a lot. I put my hours against anybody in the room. I would. But I'm called to lead, and part of my leading in my home looks like living with, being around, hanging out with my wife. Pastor Nate said it the first Sunday of the year, it's a beautiful picture. Too many of us spend our marriages back to back as if we're in opposition or in conflict with each other. Oh, we spend them a little bit better side by side, standing shoulder to shoulder, working together on some grand endeavor, a business or raising our kids. And what God's called us to is face-to-face encounter Genesis chapter 3, the man and the woman were naked and unashamed. That's a good verse. And it doesn't just talk about physical nakedness. It talks about this idea that they were stripped bare before each other and they were loved and accepted for as they were and who they were and who God made them to be. They enjoyed each other. Live with your wives in an, in an understanding way. It's, it, you could replace it with a synonym term. Be considerate is how some versions read this. Consider her. Consider her and show her honor. I can't tell you the number of men I talk to and they want honor. And the Bible says honor is your due, men, especially as you live in an honorable way. But here in this passage, the Bible speaks in candid black and white language to men and says, show women honor. And as, and I like this, and although it's tripped some people up, as a weaker vessel. I hear some woman going, I'm not weaker. Listen, this is not what it's talking about. You know, uh, I have denim jeans at home. Denim is a tough fabric. You can go out rough and tumble. You can, you can ride horses with denim. I mean, it's tough, right? It's awesome. But I would never wear silk pajamas out to ride horses. I wouldn't wear silk pajamas anyway, but I wouldn't wear silk. It, the, the, the distinction here is denim to silk, stronger to weaker. Yeah, silk is much, much more susceptible to damage and to wear, but it's so much more wonderful. This is the beauty here. 
It's the weaker vessel. It, of course, it, in, it intimates this idea of the physical strength, and most men are, on average, typically stronger than most women. I've met a few who are different. I wouldn't meet them in a dark alley. I get it. But, but the bottom line is, we're called to honor them as they are, as silk. Another way of understanding this is fine porcelain. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's also, in one sense, breakable. And God says to men especially, though the words here in 1 Peter to men are shorter than the words to women in 1 Peter, the impact is four times greater. So honor her as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you. Listen to this, heirs with you of the grace of God. There's this language again of togetherness. And then here's like the scary thing. This is exactly why men, some of us get stuck spiritually. It's why there's lack of vitality in our lives so that your prayers may not be hindered. You probably believe that praying helps your life go better. But did you realize that if you do good by your family, it helps your prayers go better? I mean, some of us men, be honest, the reason God isn't answering your prayers the way you want is because you treat your woman like, like junk. God has called us for a better vision of that. Men, what do you want the vision for your marriage to be? What do you want your marriage to look like? In the Bible, historically, women had a unique situation in the ancient Near Eastern world around that first century. They were often seen as a commodity, much like slaves. You trade one in for something of greater value. And in the Roman culture, around this time, 30 to 50 to 70 AD, things are degenerating quickly. So much so that there are new laws being written to make men marry. And men would marry but then not have kids because there would be all kinds of fears and disputes around property laws and ownership rights. So Rome had to pass laws to elevate the women's status and to give them some covering. And prostitution was rampant in the Roman world at this time. And women who had means had significant power and women who didn't had almost nothing. They were virtual slaves. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter and Paul And Jesus spoke to men with clarity and said, this woman doesn't belong to you. Your daughter doesn't belong to you. Your girlfriend doesn't belong to you. Your wife doesn't belong to you. She is at best on loan for you to steward and and develop and to, to resource and to grow up and to treasure. Not just treasure what she can bring, but treasure her. Jesus, in this sense, is a revolutionary. He's countercultural. Revolutionary thought in the first century is what Peter says when he says, you should honor her. She is a co-heir. It's legal language. She stands with you in the promise of God. In this life, you cannot, you will not experience, man, all that God has for you if you don't value the women that God has put in your life and value them and see them as God sees them. I was challenged once when I was going through a a, 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 a difficult time in my marriage. And the, the, the wise man I was speaking to you to said to me, Ben, one day you will stand with your wife before God and God will look at you and say, what did you do with my daughter? And it raised up all kinds of like fatherly instincts as me, in me as I have my own daughter. And if you have a daughter or you've, you, know, you love a, a, a lady in this world, you can probably begin to relate. I mean, the ladies in our lives are God's daughters. And that's why she's more than a, than a sex toy. That's why her brain and her soul matters. That's why it has to be nurtured and cared for. 
You can't date around like the women in your lives are slaves and you're a slave owner and think that you can make the transition to what God wants simply by putting on a tux. It doesn't work that way. We've got to renew our mind. We've got to get a vision for what God's called us to, men. We can't lead them anywhere. We can't even lead ourselves anywhere of importance until we get a vision. And I'm going to suggest to you that God's word and its content is the right place to begin crafting the vision for your life, for your marriage, for your parenting. That's why. Be as casual as you want to be. I guess it's your call about coming to church and reading your Bible and doing small group. You can do that. Or you can be like a lot of men and women around here who are filling up small groups right and left because they know that there's something more for them. That there is an honoring God component that's speaking louder and louder in their life. And there is a joy component that is pulling them forward. And that's why our, our small group groups for, for, for marriage are just overwhelmed, really. One's already closed, another one's being split into two. I mean, we're just, I'm proud of you for that. Men, when you, when you act like that, you're being men. You're proving that your adolescence is over. That you're stepping into your destiny. You are taking on the responsibility of being a dream maker. Gathering to yourself the resources and the tools to bless those in your life. That is leadership in God's economy. It's not standing around with your frat brothers. You know, daring each other to drink this. It'll make you a man. Put hair on your chest. Did you realize women don't even like hair on their chest anymore? It's been out of fashion since the 70s. I mean, there's all kinds of lying and deception going on around here, right? It's better than standing around with your work buddies discussing your toys. It's better than the fling. It's who you are called to be. It's your destiny. And I'm going to tell you long before we look at our wives and say, please partner with me in what God's called me to do, we should look up to God and say, God, I need a clearer vision of what you've called me to do, what you've called me to be. And it could be that if your marriage is faltering and isn't where it's supposed to be, it could be because God hasn't been first in your life. And I could give you the top 10 things to do to have a healthy marriage, vibrant sex life. And I would be feeding you deception and lies if I didn't attach it to the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life as you humbly submit to your heavenly Father and obey His word. That is what we're called to do. And I'm going to tell you, from experience, you can fight with me on this all you want and you will be wrong and you will be a fool. When my wife sees me humbly submit to my heavenly father, when she knows I don't want to, when she sees me struggle, then the next time I want to speak to her about something that needs adjusted in our relationship, do you think she's more willing or less willing to listen? And how about if I modeled for her regularly the rebellion of a stupid child? No, God, I won't do that. I know what you say about my money, but I'm not going to do that. No, God, I'm not going to treat this person this way. No, I'm going to hold on to bitterness over here, God, even though you tell me to forgive. I'm not even going to press into it. What do you think it calls out in my wife and my kids? God calls us to relationship with him, men. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's grander and greater than anything you've experienced. Don't listen to your frat brothers. Don't listen to your business partners. Don't listen to the culture that lies. Don't believe pornography. You've thought about this? Our erotic imagery of our culture 
And what, is, what it's done to those of us that have viewed it. It says effectively to our wives, listen to this, a real body's not good enough. I need one augmented and tucked and enlarged and expanded and airbrushed because a real body isn't good enough for me. The one God created doesn't sustain, doesn't satisfy. It says also that one body isn't good enough. Not only is nobody good enough, any one body isn't good enough. I need multiples. I need it over and over again. But most of all, men, it says to your wife, your body isn't good enough for me. I don't care. We can discuss the morality of pornography all day long. It is destroying marriages all across this nation because you are saying to your wife, your body isn't good enough for me. And the problem isn't her or her body, no matter what shape it is. It is you and the filth you put into your head. And God's called us to be dream makers and you can't make your woman feel like the child of God that she is, the daughter of God that she is, when you have surrounded yourself with filth and lies and surrounded yourself with friends, so-called friends, who call out the adolescent in you and not the man. The honest to God, the most important two things some of us in this room could do is to focus on God more than we ever have and quit talking to some of the idiots in our lives. I don't feel sorry for you. You don't need pity. What we need to do is humble ourselves before our almighty God, men, and ask God to forgive us. And you know what we're going to find? We're going to find a forgiving, gracious God who says, all right, if you're ready to lean in now, no matter where you're coming from and how far you've screwed it up, I will begin to walk with you right now. But he calls us to, and here's the word none of us like, men. He calls us to repent. It means to quit going in the direction. It doesn't mean to feel sorry. We've made this mistake in church that if I can somehow preach you guilty, and you have this remorseful effect in your, in your heart, in your mind, that somehow you've done something. Listen, that's a lie. I hope, I hope that you feel some of what I feel, the weight of how I need to change, and the guilt of that bears on you a little bit, just like it has on me. But if that's all that happens to you, we haven't done you any service. I'm calling you to repent. And the biblical word repent means to turn and go in a new direction. Maybe you feel sorry, maybe you don't. Maybe you're just wise enough to submit to God's word and to wisdom simply because it's true. Whether you feel like it's all that put together or not. Whether you feel like your theology is all that complete or not. Whether you feel like you can make it make sense in every area of your life or not. It's just God says it's what I'm supposed to do, so I'm going to start walking that direction. I'm telling you, you start walking the direction of God, it will change everything. This is less a marriage series if you haven't picked up on it yet and more a series about re re revival, personal revival. You want to know what our marriages need? We need a revival of the Holy Spirit between men and women. And it will change everything. You can't minutely make changes in your life and expect to have a radically different kind of relationship. You can do what I've had to do a dozen times. Fall on my face before God and say, God, once again, I'm a blubbering idiot. And I need your grace because I'm about to screw the whole thing up. Would you, God, give me another chance? Would you, God, give me, would you, God, show me what to do? And then you open up his word and you go to passages that deal with things like Job saying, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a woman. You go to the passage in James, everybody should be quick to listen and slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now that right there will change your marriage. You go to passages like 1 Peter chapter 3. Treat the women in your life with honor as they weaker but more precious. 
vessel. That's God's daughter. And you let those truths call you to your destiny. And you let God's dream impact your dream. And then you set aside some time and make a few changes in your family dynamics. And you quit telling your kids that sports are the most important thing. You start telling them that church and God and our family Bible time and prayer over food is more important than soccer or baseball or football. Because I'm be honest with you, your kid isn't good enough for pro ball anyway. So you give them to God and you give time to God and you pray for revival. And it changes everything. I'm either a liar or I'm right on point. And I'm going to tell you, this pastor today is on point. Good preaching, pastor. Thank you for preparing and praying today and getting up and bringing out the word of God. I'm tired of men who are 40 years old acting like adolescents. I'm tired of it in my own life and I'm tired of it in yours. And I'm tired of churches trying to be led by men who are adolescents and women who haven't grown up or been nurtured. It's time for men and women of God to step up and be men and women of God and call their churches to what the Bible calls them to, and not apologize. And if half the church leaves, so what? It will be truth. And those of us that are here experiencing the transforming grace of God as we take steps in the right direction over time will replace any sense of loss that this world has lied to us about. And then it'll be true in your lives. You can lead. You can, because God said you could, not because I said you could. You can lead. You can, you can get a vision for your family. And you can today start making steps. It might begin with an apology. It might begin with silence. I don't know. It probably has a lot to do with God's word and your receptivity to it. Listen, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm emotional today, but I'm not mad. I'm, 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 I'm furious at the devil and how he has lied to you. How he lied to me. How he's, hey, he wants to lie to my boys. I'm just not, we're not going to tolerate that around here. We're not going to call each other to better marriages. We're going to call each other to biblical marriages. We're not going to call each other to better parenting. And get that on Oprah, reruns, you know? Go to Hulu or go to, go, to, go to YouTube, right? Or whatever the woman channel is. What, what's that one called? Own or something like that? Go, go, whatever. But in church, let's call each other and hold each other up to God's standards. And let's experience revival. Now next week, I'm going to pull this out of the clouds. I'm going to talk practically about how to do that. I'm going to share with you some of my own failings. I'm going to share with you some of the things we've done right. I'm going to share with you the powerful grace and, of God and the, and the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit that will transform. So I want you to grab out your connect card and let's take a few steps together. <clears throat> I bet there are some folks in the room who uh, need to begin a relationship with God today. And you're thinking, my gosh, that guy's all worked up. Yep, I am. I'm going to tell you why. I've been around too long. I've been around too long, and I've seen too much to waste this day. So you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I'm not calling you to that. I'm not calling you to our church. You feel and have felt God calling you. And so you can check next box, next step A, that box there, and we'll send you a little bit of information. And I'm trying to encourage you on your way as you begin a relationship with Jesus. Or next step B, step B, you need to get baptized and just kind of go public with your faith and quit being a coward, man, and just say, I'm with Jesus and I want you to know it, all right? And the next step, C, I want to join a small group. Those um, booklets are there in your, in your cup holder and um, 
you, you might need to adjust your schedule a little bit, all right? And, and make some time here. And then next step, D. I've not brought out the beauty and the value in my wife as I'm called to. I'm considerate and honor, treating her as God's daughter, and I'm repenting of that today. Listen, there's no shame and truthfulness around here. And this staff will join on Tuesday morning around a table, and we will lift you up in prayer and ask God to give you boldness to walk out what you already know and then to begin to show you what he wants you to do so you can turn this ship around and you can actually live in your destiny and experience joy like you've never known, men. And the next step, E. I believe God's really calling me to step up and be a, now here's the phrase of the Bible, a man of God, a man defined by God, a man who's led by God, a man who walks with God. Now, that's not perfection. No one, none of the men of God in the Bible were perfect except for Jesus. But God's calling me to be a man of God like I've never been before. I want to lead myself and my home in a way that brings out God's dream for each person in my family. Listen, if that's your heart, we'll help you. We will. We'll bring truth that you can understand and strip it of all the flowery language and we won't ask you to hug onto Jesus' beard, men. You, you, don't, you don't have to sit in his lap. We can just be open to the Holy Spirit and we can grow together and you can have a fraternity of brotherhood in God that surpasses anything you may have experienced in college or any other group of friends you've ever had. And we'd love to pray with you about that and talk with you about that. So let's pray right now and then uh, sing to our awesome God. Lord Jesus, thank you, God, for your grace and mercy. God, I, I, I don't know um, how all you want to work among the group of people that have assembled today or maybe even those listening online. But Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would quiet the lies of our culture, the lies of our past, the lies of our present, and our fears about the future. And your dream for us, God, as men and women, would begin to speak loud in our lives. God, I pray for revival in families. I pray today for those people that are deciding to follow you with their lives. We give this to you, Lord, and all the glory and praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen.